Pray with me, Father, thank you that you are our Father. These words are true. They're not uh, just songs we sing that sound good and make us feel good for a moment, but is the reality that we live in, is the truth. God, would that truth settle in in our hearts this morning? Would we be reminded of that love that you have for us and uh, of our adoption into your family? That we're no longer enemies or strangers, but we're your sons and daughters. And you love us and you delight in us. And may that be the, the framework with which we look at all of our life. Not just our gathering today, but all of our life. Would you help remind us and root us of that today? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, uh, I think you, you, some days you just kind of take where God keeps going. I feel like this is that reminder this morning. Maybe we need to hear it is that God loves you, right? That God, God doesn't love uh, a future version of you when you've gotten it all figured out, uh, when you've achieved all the things on the ladder, when you've moved all the way up to the top. Uh, he doesn't love you, uh, this past version of you, when you, when you were really close to him, when you were doing all the right things maybe before you had kids or other stuff where it was like, oh, it's so easy to follow Jesus, right? He doesn't love that. Or maybe it's not some version of you that where you're at right now where you think, I'm all good. I'm great. Like he loves you right now. When he looks down, he delights in you. He smiles. When someone mentions your name to him, like his eyes perk up. He doesn't shake his head like, oh no, not them. When he sees you coming over the hill, he's running to you like the father to the prodigal son, ready to welcome you in, not wanting to listen to your excuses of where you've been or why you haven't been doing whatever. And so hear that this morning. He loves you. And whatever thought comes into your mind right after that, whatever but, but this, this, this unlovable thing about you, whatever you think that might be, he loves you greater than that. His love is deeper and greater than that. Whatever part of you no one else sees that is unhidden and seems terrible, he loves that part. Whatever part you look in the mirror and go, ugh, I, I mean, I can't even look at my own face right now. Not be, maybe even because of looks, just because you're disgusted with yourself. He doesn't look like that. He doesn't look at you like that. He loves you. That's God. That's our Heavenly Father that loved us so much in John 3.16 that he sent his only son that we might uh, receive his love, but experience that love. Love in the flesh, incarnate, right? As a person. And that's, that's the root of all of what we're doing, right? Like, it's not just about like, hey, let's learn some good stuff and walk out of here and move on. Like, if, we're, if we don't get rooted in that, what happens as we walk out these doors, what happens as we wake up each morning is that we begin to uh, put ourselves into, I'm in control, it's all about me, I've got to figure this out, right? And it, and it doesn't uh, remind us, it doesn't root us in this truth that we are free, Like, that sounds great, right? It sounds really great in a song. I love that. I love to sing I'm free. But I don't feel very free when I wake up a lot of days. I don't feel very free at the end of the day. I feel very bogged down, weighted with my own expectations of myself, with others' expectations of me, with my thoughts of what others think of me. 
with my own sin and my own mess ups, and that's the exact opposite of the life we live. In fact, it ties into what we're looking at Acts. It's a very different life than the life that's being lived in these first five chapters that we've looked at so far in Acts. I'm not saying it was an easy life by what by any means, but they looked, they they were living this out. They were free and they recognized their adoption as sons and daughters, and it changed their life and all of who they were. And it's easy also to say, oh, but they lived in simpler times, so it was much easier to do it, right? Uh, to some degree, maybe. Maybe are, there are some ways that they, what they're doing wasn't completely transforming against the culture, but what it also probably meant is that they lost all of their family. To say they were part of God's family, to leave their, their heritage, whatever it was, meant that, that they no longer had that family anymore, and so they had to cling to the family of God, right? Where that's not necessarily the case for us. To follow Jesus doesn't mean people are going to necessarily disown you. It might, but, but that's, but that's not necessary. It doesn't mean it's easy. I'm not saying that at all. But it's just the, different, the consequences are different in some, to some degrees. And so I say that today as we walk through this, as we look at this, these examples of Acts, the whole uh, design of thinking through Acts this summer has been that we would see the Spirit working, the Holy Spirit empowered and working through uh, ordinary, everyday people. And how the gospel transforms lives. The Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit's power, things happen that cannot be explained any other ways. Right? And so that's where we've been walking through this journey and where it even meets us today. Right? We're a part of that story. We're not some other story. We're a part of God's redemptive story. We are the ends of the earth that are being reached right now. Like, we are the foretold. The disciples were to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That is us. They could not have even fathomed. <laughs> much, they couldn't have fathomed people living where we are living today, much less living how we are living today, right? I mean, Wyatt on the way here was talking about, one day I'm going to drive a flying car. I was like, you probably will. That is not, that's not crazy, right? That really isn't crazy. And so as we step into this today, I just want us to, that comes with that reminder that God's love for us, shown through Jesus, right, is what leads the disciples to do everything that's happened to this point, which is causing change, which is seeing the city of Jerusalem turned upside down, right? So turn to Matthew, or Matthew turn to Acts uh, chapter 6. We'll start right there. We're going to actually pick up at the very last part of 5 that kind of connects us into here just to see where we're going. And um, we'll start with this today. Acts chapter 5, 41 through 6-1 says this. Then they left the presence of the council. So remember last week they were trying to determine what they should do with these disciples, these apostles who had been preaching the gospel. What do we do with them? They won't quit doing it. And every time they do it, like people keep following them. I don't know what else we keep them to do. We've told them not to say anything. They keep doing it. We put them in prison. God got them out of prison. We went to go get them. Everybody loved them, so we couldn't even punish them. What do we do, right? Like this is like a we're a really hard situation here. Um, so they beat them, right? This happened in verse uh, 40 before this. The uh, Sanhedrin doesn't know what else to do, so they just beat them up a bunch. And then they um, send them out, and when they leave, this is how they respond. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They said, like, listen, this was, like, we got, we got 
thrown in jail, we got beaten up, and now we're sent back out here. But we see it as an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. And verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house. I love that both of these are there, right? I just read a thing. There's some guys that can get, uh, uh, guys, people, all, guys and girls that get, like, focused one way or another. That, like, the real church is only house churches, right? It's only small churches that never, like, that's the real church. Or the other church is like, no, the church is big so that we can do all these things. It's like, no, it's both. I think even here they're giving us the picture that it's both. They were at the temple, all of them together, big crowds of them, and then they were going house to house. This is how it looks, right? We need all of it. And so don't even think as we look at us like Soma is the only way to do this and this is the only model to be crammed into a firehouse. This is real, we're doing real church. Like we're real church people here. And what they're doing out there, no, it's not. They're both there. They're happening. And they did this and they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is, that the Christ is Jesus. So even after being beaten, even after being told you can't, you got to stop doing this, they said we can't help but do this. This is the only thing that we can talk about. We're going to keep doing this. And then we get this in, in verse 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. So Luke is giving us a transition. Something has happened in this time frame, right? We come right out of that and everything else has kind of happened one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another. And then it says now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Uh, people kind of vary like how long this was. This could be as many as five years later in, in the timeline. That over the next five years, like just imagining this growing uh, body of Christ, reaching out, living differently, right? What we already know is true is happening. Uh-oh, Elias. Oh, there he is. <laughs> um, uh, this growing body of believers, right, are... Um, learning to live out what it looks like to be the church, right? It's growing and multiplying. They're experiencing, as it said in chapter 4, more believers than ever. They described it as multitudes, right, are coming to faith. So imagine this just keep happening, right? It's not just addition. It's multiplication happening here inside of Jerusalem. So if you're the religious leaders of the day, if you're the, the, the ones who are trying to keep the law, they're very angry. They're already mad at them. This just keeps building and building and building, right? Because it's confronting the very thing. Who did Jesus have the harshest words for in the Gospels? Right? The Pharisees, the, religious, the, the religious, uh, religiously correct people, right? I don't want to say right because I want you to think, oh, yeah, it's all the right. It's, this is, that's how we turn political. It's not just right or left, right? right? It's like the religiously correct people, right? That's who he has come after, the people that just wanted to be able to prove themselves right by the law. It was not about relationship with God. It was not about love for God. It was about being the ones that were right. And so as this is going and as this is growing, right, all we've seen so far outside of the, the, the Old Testament uh, you know, show up of, of God last week with Ananias and Sapphira, we've just seen unity in the church. We've seen them uh, committed to the word of God, taught by the apostles, living that out. We see them fellowshipping together. We see them communing with God and with others. And then we see them in prayer, right? Con continually in prayer. This is what they're known for. They're united in all of this. So this is all what's going on. The one thread against unity, as we talked about last week, was hypocrisy. Saying one thing and doing something else. That's why Ananias and Sapphira brought their goods to the, to the Lord or to the apostles, laid it at their feet, and both of them died within seconds of it because they were coming with wrong hearts. And God says, listen, it's what in, is in your heart that matters. I want to guard against that unity. I praise God that he doesn't, hasn't struck me down for my hypocrisy. But in that moment, it was an example to the church of this is what's going on. This is what you're doing. And so as the church is growing and multiplying, imagine what that would be like, right? Imagine if tomorrow, 
whatever church, if you took Soma, you just doubled our size in a few months. And then you doubled our size again. And then you doubled our size again. There's a part of that would be like, that's so awesome. Look at what God's doing, right? There's many great things that are going on with that. But inside of that, what you have are people coming to faith, baby believers, right? And that's awesome. Baby believers are awesome. What do babies do? They make a lot of mess, honestly, right? They need a lot of attention, right? I mean, as we look at two of our beautiful babies right over here, right? They need attention. That's, it's not a bad thing. It's great because that's who they are. Like, they require. They need. They have to be taught and learn. And so this picture, it doesn't just happen easily. It's not like a neat and tidy picture of like, oh, this is all just working out great. There's a lots of work that's going on inside of this. So as you can imagine in a fast-growing group, everything doesn't just work out perfectly, right? We've seen a lot of like ideal kind of kingdom pictures, but it doesn't look like that, right? So we get our first glimpse of the internal strife that's happening inside of the church. I also love that in the midst of this, it's a pretty small portion of all that's gone on so far. And I want to say that maybe not that it's not that um, the internal things weren't happening, but the internal things were not the big deal. But what happens to us often? It's internal strife. It's small things amongst the body that create big, big rifts, big tears, big canyons between relationships and people. And maybe what we ought to realize is not that that doesn't matter, but I have much more grace in that moment for my brother and sister in Christ to recognize, hey, we're in this together. And so we see this one example happening here. So what we'll see today is that uh, even with strong leadership, problems will arise, right? So it's not that we can make, and I'll be honest, when I, when I started planting, there's a little bit of fear that I planted out of, not, probably not a little bit, <laughs> a lot of fear that I planted out of, like, I didn't want the things that I'd seen happen in all the other places or things that I'd heard of happening in other churches to happen in Soma. So I was like, I want to make sure that didn't happen, right? So it was like, uh, honestly, it was like, hey, uh, when I came into Redeemer, uh, they had a plurality of elders, and that kind of had a, uh, an implosion for a moment. And so then I was like, okay, now what do we do? Like, like, they had two, and then they went to three, and that was bad. How do we get past that? Do we just never move to three? Like, do we not, like, what, how do we avoid these things, right? Like, that was my heart, was like, how do I avoid any trouble, any friction, any problems? We can't. It's how we deal with those problems, right? The other picture that we'll learn today is that rapid growth isn't an excuse for unmet needs. Because things are happening quickly doesn't mean we lose sight of the things that we've been called to do. And then lastly, the church is not just a pastor or its leaders, but it's the body of Christ. And so that's what we see as we continue going on in this story, right? We want to acknowledge that struggles that come with time and growth, right? That happens. Struggles happen because of time and growth, right? Sometimes it's length of time together, right? And sometimes it's because rapid growth. I think both of those things are true. Both of those things are true. Um, and what we see in this is like um, leads to uh, kind of several different struggles we come through. Uh, the first one we might see as we walk in this, this is kind of like stuff we might see before we even get to these scriptures. Like what would you imagine happening uh, through being a church together for a long time or seeing really fast growth? You might see an uncertainty of purpose, right? We might lost the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. Busyness, pressing needs, lack of church being the central part of life, right? Going back to your old ways. Imagine again, you've got... Uh, 
um, new believers from different backgrounds, right? There were people from all over the world there in Jerusalem that now have stayed in Jerusalem and have come face. So they've got all different backgrounds. And it doesn't take long if we're not focusing in that uh, uncertainty of our purpose gets there. Uh, or fuzzy priorities, right? Uh, what, we, what begins to happen is the tyranny of the urgent. The biggest issue that rises up now becomes the thing that takes the most time out of us, right? For us in this last season, uh, finding the place for us to be since last March, dealing with the issues in here has become a bigger issue than we would want it to be, right? Um, it would be great to not have to ever worry about uh, where we meet and what does it look like to set up and be praying and planning towards that. But that's not where God has us, right? So we have to, at the same time, think, I've got to realize this uh, and realize that what's going on right now doesn't need to take over what's most important, right? And so often what happens over time or with big growth, what's most important gets taken over by what's most urgent. Or we move to professionalism. And this is very alive in the church, in the Western church, um, as we move to let the professionals do the work for us, right? We fund the mission, we give, and then they go do the work. The, the pastors, the, the, they go do the work. The ministers go do the work. And our job is to show up and support the ministers in the work that they're doing, right? That's a professional model of church. That's not what's happening uh, in the early church. They were all going out. They were all doing their job. They all had roles to play. And then the last one is a loss of being known, right? Over time, what can happen is we can move uh, to not share our needs or to be known. Even with great numbers, right, the same thing can happen. We cannot share our needs or be known. It's amazing, as a, even in a group like a small group, if you've been, if there's four or five of you, um, maybe two or three of you, especially in that size, like you can share lots of needs in there because you feel like, man, I can, I can share and I have room to share, I have time to share, I'm not oversharing, there's space.